I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the audiobook Zombie Bears. <gasps> so today we are going to be sharing a bonus episode. So we're coming out not on a Friday, we're coming out on a Tuesday as I get to share my audiobook for the script I wrote, Zombie Bears. So Rima graciously let me uh, put this on our feed for Strange Indeed. So basically what this is, you're, you're going to hear it. It's, it's, a, it's a language of bromance episode, but not like a typical language of bromance episode. But it's where uh, I released uh, basically me reading and putting some audio sounds to my script, Zombie Bears, which, you know, everybody that listens to this probably likes weird things, and this is kind of a weird thing, so I hope you enjoy it. Um, and the reason it's tacked on to a, to a language of bromance episode because I released it as part of that uh, a little bit ago, but... With Richard and I talking, you're going to kind of get some insight on how the, the inspiration for this came about and kind of uh, why I did this thing to begin with. So um, Rima's got a got a sneak peek at it, and uh, yeah, I can pause my audio or my my yeah my audio if you want to tell the audience what you really thought of it or. <laughs> No, I really liked it. It was a really super fun read as I was reading the script, and I loved all of it. I loved the sound effects, and I think everyone uh, will really get a, a, a kick out of it. So I hope everyone enjoys, because I did. Yeah, so thanks for giving it a listen, and I hope you guys enjoy my uh, script, my audiobook, Zombie Bears. Woohoo! What is up, everybody? I'm Richard. And I'm Sean. And we are speaking uh, the language of... Sean is speaking the language of bromance today. Because he, he he brought me in. He brought me in for emotional support. And I'm here. And I'm here for you. And you are the wind beneath my wings. Or I'm the wind beneath your wings. I always say you're my muse, so you're the one that inspires me to do these things. And Richard, back in the day, long time ago, we did episode two. We did zombie bear episode where we came up with this episode two. Yes, we came up with this whole idea of like this world where there's these zombie bears and like there's this Nazi guy that created them and like just completely like sparked my fancy and like captured my imagination. I actually have not gone back and listened to the actual episode and i do not recall how we ended up with bears zombie bears nazi zombie bears i don't remember exactly it was you didn't listen to the episode either i don't remember how we got there we were talking about some i think we're talking about the bloop or like a shark eating another shark in the ocean okay and worked our way to like bears are scary you know what's scarier than bears zombie bears yeah and then, you know, it's scarier than that if they were Nazis. Yeah, because they made the monocle. And yeah. so at this point, like we had just started this podcast and, and I'd been wanting to write for a while. And I was like, well, that's kind of a fun idea. Like, can I write it into like a book? Because for some reason in my noggin, like a script was something that I could not and should not write. And so one day I'm sitting there and I'm like starting to type away on this this book, essentially. And I'm like, you know, this kind of sounds like a movie. Like this sounds like a sci fi 
you know, B movie of the week kind of thing. Oh my God. It would be the best sci-fi B it movie of the week. And so I looked and I'm like, how do you write scripts? Like what's like, how difficult is that? And they're like, Oh, it's just this, this, and this is pretty much the gist of it. And I'm like, okay, start typing away. And I think I finished this in less than a month. And I think I had like two or three different versions of it. Like, you know, going through and re-editing it. I've had you read it. I've had a bunch of people read it. And, uh, you know, it basically was finished. I printed it out. I actually gave a copy of this to Kevin Smith, which we talked about. Oh, which yeah. it probably ended up in the trash somewhere. Like, I'm not expecting him to keep it. But he at least touched this script of mine. He had it. It was in his hot little hands. Um, oh, oh there, was, there was one thing I was going to say. And it was, oh, Netflix. Netflix had a movie called Iron Sky, okay? You know what that movie was about, Sean? Nazis on the moon. So you're telling me that they can make a movie about Nazis on the moon? And, you know, because people are like, okay, so they're, so they're bears and they're zombies and somehow also Nazis? And then you're like, yes. And yeah, somebody's like, how apart. does that? Yeah. And somebody's like, well, that sounds like a dumb movie. I'm like, um, they made a movie about Nazis on the moon. <laughs> so don't tell me that... Zombie Nazi bears are stupid. In a world where there's a movie, somebody paid money <laughs> to make a movie about Nazis on the moon. This should exist. This should exist. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that yours is better. I'm not saying, you know. I mean, far from, far from me to disparage anyone's art. But in a world where that exists, this can also exist. And so it's been sitting locked away for probably two and a half years at this point. And and now we're going to send it to Netflix. Yeah, Netflix. If you're listening, I got this read going for you. But I was inspired, as always, from somebody else's work. Kevin Smith recently, who inspired us to do this, inspired me to do that, the script for it, for Zombie Bears. He read a script that he couldn't get made called Hit Somebody. And he put some audio to it and everything. And, you know, you and I are talking about getting an audio drama comedy going. Uh, spoilers. Spoiler alert. It's coming soon. But what what way to kind of practice honing my skills of editing and, you know, just reading this? Like, why not just sit down, read the script uh, so the world can hear what it is and then throw some sounds behind it? And so, ladies and gentlemen, here in just a moment, once we get this intro out of the way, you're going to get to sit back and hear my awesome vocals read you for the very first time ever, Zombie Bears, with a little bit of extra background noise audio for you. That's nice. I listened to it. Yeah, so you listen to it. So what's what's the the audience? What can they expect? From um, this? I will say it's I think it's it's what you expect. You say the movie Zombie Bears. That's I mean you're you're getting you're getting Zombie Bears. I think I think the Nazi the Nazi angle. Pl- I mean definitely the Nazi angle plays in there, but it doesn't. It's not it's not in the title. We don't bury that lead. No, yeah, yeah. It's there. You know, I mean it's in there. So don't worry. You're going to get Nazis, too, because who doesn't love Nazis? I'm bad at intros. <laughs> but all right, well, let's let's get into it. So we'll catch you on the inside of, or the back end of this to kind of do our housekeeping. But so here you are, everybody. Here is uh, Zombie Bears, a script based on the Language of Bromance podcast. Episode two. Hey, Zombie Bear. Hey, Bear. Zombie Bears by Sean Henniger. Based on a podcast, Language of Bromance, Episode 2, Hey Zombie Bear, by Richard and Sean. 
Exterior, field, Rocky Mountains in the background, day. A field in Colorado that runs up to the Rocky Mountains, the snow-covered Rocky Mountain peaks in the distance. The wind blows through tall grasses, giving off a feeling of an early fall chill. A group of four late teen, early 20 kids pull up to the edge of the field on a truck that looks to have been used mostly for farming. The truck is slightly beat up and dusty, showing signs of wear. Four kids get out of the truck, inaudibly talking back and forth with each other. Gary, early 20s, small town kid, exits the driver's side wearing an athletic jacket and old ripped jeans. Before shutting the driver's side door, he tosses his phone into the glove compartment of the truck and then locks the door. Sarah, early 20s, Gary's girlfriend, exits the driver's side door. She is wearing a zip-up hoodie and jeans with a wool beanie hat on with a flat hair draping over her back. Mark, late teens, gets out of the passenger side door wearing a camo hoodie, jeans, and a Colorado Rockies batting practice hat. Marcy, Mark's girlfriend, late teens, gets out of the passenger back door wearing a Colorado State jacket and jeans. Gary, little chilly out today with the wind. Marcy's looking at Mark. Ugh, I told you it was going to be too cold to do this today. Mark looks away sheepishly, hiding his frustrations and keeps his temper under control. Yeah, you were right. We should have just went to the mall instead. Gary, oh, come on, Marcy. Once we get going, it'll be fine. Besides, they don't allow dogs at the mall anyway. (laughs) Gary gives Mark a wink and a nod while Marcy walks a few steps to the edge of the field. Gary and Mark walk to the bed of the truck and drop the tailgate, revealing the head of an older lab. Rose is a yellow, practically white with some gray, 10-year-old lab. Not near the point of death old, but has lost a step or two. Rose is hiding under some old blankets in a doggy bed. She looks up as if to say, thanks for waking me up from my nap. Gary slightly bent over the tailgate of the truck, clapping and lightly pounding on the tailgate to get Rose to leave her blanket fort. Come on, Rosie. Come on, girl. Mark, I think she's telling you to fuck off. Without missing a beak or looking away from Rose, Gary gives Mark the finger. Come on, girl. You don't have to jump off. Gary's face falls a bit at the realization that this will probably be the last fall his beloved Rose gets to experience. Sarah walks up behind Gary and Mark. Marcy is standing in the background in the same spot with one arm around her waist and the other hand near her mouth, chewing on her thumb. Sarah slips her hand over Gary, showing him support, looking at his upset face. When he looks up, they both share an intimate smile. Sarah, we should have let her ride in the truck with us. Even with that bed, she can't be comfortable. Yeah, that that would have gone over well. Mark looks over his shoulders at Marcy, still standing in the same spot. Marcy catches Mark looking at the corner of her eyes and gives a heavy sigh and turns her back towards the group. Mark disgruntled whispers so Marcy can't hear him. I told her she shouldn't have worn her new hoodie. Fuck me, this day is going to be great. Marcy walks away from Sarah and Gary over to where Marcy is standing. She turns away from him as he walks up. Gary and Sarah return their attention from Mark and Marcy back to the rows in the truck. Gary kind of whispering, She just broke up with her like you wanted. The guy thinks just because you sleep with a girl you have to stay with her. Worries me one day he's going to call and tell me he's engaged. Sarah says, if your mother was still here, Marcy would never get a ring on her finger. Gary says quietly, giggling, yeah, it's tough on Mark when Dad gets sauced and tells him how Marcy reminds him of Mom. I don't remember Mom being such a pain in the ass, though. As Gary finishes the word ass, Rose walks up and licks him on the face, giving the feeling when a mother would grab a son by the hand and tell him to be nice to his brother's girlfriend. Gary says, all right, girl, let's get going. Gary lifts Rose off the truck and gently puts her on the ground. Rose takes a few steps forward, slowly at first, trying to loosen her joints. After about five to six steps, Rose begins to trot over to Mark and Marcy. So she's kind of like getting her joints loosened up a little bit because she's an old pup. 
Market's excited by seeing Rose tail wagging with excitement and roughs up her up by the ears in a softer way a person would rough up an older dog. Marcy raises her leg, blocking Rose from getting close to her, looking annoyed and disgusted. Exterior. Field and the Rocky Mountains in the background, day. Mark, Gary, and Sarah talking back and forth as they walk. Marcy looks off in the distance, looking as if she would rather be anywhere but walking near this field. So we're kind of walking through the field, seeing this open, empty path, this open, empty field. So after walking a distance, there's a four-wheeler or truck path through the middle of the field that everyone turns to walk down. So it's kind of used a little bit, but definitely not, like, very actively used. So pulling out to see the field and trail, and so we just kind of, like, pan back. This is kind of thought here. So you pan back and see, like, okay, this is, you know, this big open field. You see the mountains in the background, so they're really going into the wilderness. So exterior, large field of grass, of weed, or just tall grass. So the group is halfway through the field. Rose is now at a steady walking pace in front of the group. The wind is blowing hard enough to sway the grass wheat back and forth. There's a chill in the air, but not cool enough to see everyone's breath. Gary and Sarah in front walking side by side, and Sarah wrapped around Gary's arm. Mark and Marcy walk about four feet from Sarah and Gary. Between Mark and Marcy, there's a two-foot space. So you kind of see, like, you know, Gary and Sarah kind of, like, wrapped, like they're excited for this, you know, fun trip, fun hike. And then you kind of see Mark and Marcy, they're split up. Like, there's some trouble in paradise here. And, you know, his big brother Gary kind of pokes his head back seeing this going on, so he tries to break the silence. And Gary says, probably even one of the last days we can hike this trail. I heard it's going to be a cold winter. Marcy, with, she's kind of like a little valley girl in her. Um, it's Colorado, Gary. It's never not a cold winter. So she's just kind of being a bitch at this point. So Marcy rolls her eyes behind Gary's back. Gary takes in a deep breath and lets it out. Because, I mean, this is his... Uh, brother's girlfriend so he's got to kind of be nice to her so looking as if he's like counting to three in his head so he kind of says frustrated yeah you're not wrong there i guess i've been here too long to not know what a warm winter is like gary looks up with his eyebrows raised and whistles rose come on back girl getting too far ahead rose has gotten further out sniffing around increasing her pace after each whiff she steps to look ahead and then looks back at the group after a few moments looking back she trots back to gary when rose reaches the group gary reaches down and scratches her head then behind her ears, and then gives her a gentle pat on the ribs. Mark says, so on the go today, huh, Rose? Nice to see someone's excited for the great outdoors. So Mark kind of smirks slightly and kind of taps Marcy, because, I mean, it's his girlfriend, so he's trying to kind of, you know, like, hey, you know, I'm just kind of teasing. Uh, Marcy's unable to resist Mark's charm, because and she has a little small smile start to come on her face. And Marcy says, besides the clouds and wind, I guess it's bearable. Mark moves in and kisses Marcy on the cheek. And then Mark says quietly, knew you'd come around, cutie. Marcy has a bigger smile now. Right as Marcy's smile reaches its max size, Mark licks her from the top of her cheek to her temple. Ooh! Marcy's squeaking loudly, Mark, you asshole, that's disgusting. Now I smell like spit. Mark, breach- Mark breaks out in a roar of laugh and has trouble breathing looking away from Marcy. Marcy sneaks in as Mark is distracted by his laughing and gives him the exact same lick laughing the entire time. <laughs> Gary and Sarah looking back at the couple who now seem to have made up. Sarah looking at Mark, or Sarah looking at Gary, says, don't even think about it. Sarah smiles after finishing her threat, and Gary smiles back and winks. So there's kind of like this gross, like they, you know, I guess the brothers like to lick their girlfriends just to kind of like gross, like a doggy kiss, basically. Uh, Exterior closer to the woods day. Rose has stayed close to the group as they stop near the entrance into the woods. The trail continues forward, leading the way into the woods. The trail has a little overgrowth and looks to have had a vehicle drive over it fairly recently, as are two tire tracks on the trail. Gary says, Marcy, your man over there ever tell you about our trip through these woods? Marcy looks over at Mark and then backs at Gary and shakes her head no. 
Gary continues, so we'd walk for hours. This one time we decided to go off the trail and see what we could find. Lewis and Clark expedition-like. Map the unknown, go to places no man has ever been. I was, what, 12, 14, and you were, what, 8 or 9? And Gary looks over at Mark and looks at, first confused, and then slyly smiles and winks. So this is, they're playing a gag going with, uh, with his girlfriend. So Mark speaks up and says, oh, yeah, must, must have been around that age. I think Rose was just a pup. We left her at home that day, if I remember right. Gary continues his tale in a way of great adventure would. He puts his right leg on a stump and rests his hand on his leg. He tells the story in a slow pace, emphasizing the right words at the right moment. So here we were, a couple of adventurers walking around, stepping over fallen trees. We must have lost track of time because next thing I noticed, there was no sunlight. Marcy's eyes are wide as she's interested in listening to the story. And Gary continues, at first I didn't think anything of the darkness. My eyes just slowly adjusting as we went. I'm just looking down, trying not to trip. Keep moving straight ahead. We are adventures after all, right? That's when I look up and can only see about from me to you, as he kind of gestures towards Marcy to show the distance in, this, in his story. And that's the distance between him and Marcy is about 10 feet. So as Gary continues to speak about his adventure, he mimics his actions. So I'm looking around and think, oh, shoot. It's a lot later than I thought. I look at my watch, and it was hours past what it should have been. Sarah has the same expression playing along with the gag. She pretends to hang on every word of the story. Every few words she looks from Gary over to Mark. So his girlfriend's kind of getting on the action, too. They're playing this big gag on Marcy. So, being the big brother, Gary continues, like, I can't freak out. So I turn around, ready to grab Mark by the... Sarah and Mark are looking at Marcy, who's completely focused on Gary's story at this point. So it's like, they're just focusing in on this. So he's like, so I turn around, ready to grab Mark by the hand and start heading back. When I turn around, Mark's not there. And he pauses, kind of letting that dramatic effect take, a, take hold. Gary continues, so now I'm really freaked out. How long has he not been behind me? Did he fall and I didn't hear him? Did something get him without me knowing? There are a bunch of cougars, bears, and other wild animals in these woods. So now I'm in full freakout mode. Where is my little brother? Gary looks around the group, mimicking like he is looking for Mark. He continues getting quieter and quieter with his vocals. I'm running through the woods, heading back where he came from. No idea what I might find. In my mind, I'm expecting the worst. And then there it is. Gary pauses, pointing off into the distance, and starts to come down more to a whisper. And Gary whispering says, I walk over and I see this monstrous creature. I creep down. I see Mark sitting down, backing away from it. So I say, speak. Gary pauses, opening up the floor for Marcy. Marcy looks confused at Gary, and just her in her normal voice, speak? And then all of a sudden, Rose the dog lets out a loud bark behind Marcy. Marcy jumps, her eyes go wide, and she lets out a huge scream, clasping her hand over her mouth, trying to keep the rest of the scream from escaping. Everyone except Marcy's laughing. Rose stands next to Marcy with her tail wagging. She's like, oh, hey, you told me to speak. I'm speaking. Marcy stands up and lightly pushes Rose with her foot. Then she reaches out and slaps Gary on the arm and then smacks Mark on the arm. Marcy says, you dickheads, I just about pissed my pants. Gary tries to speak through his laughing. Well, what do you expect? Rose had to get you back from making her ride in the bed of the truck. Mark chimes in. You know, cutie, that's true, but look at her. Rose is sitting at Marcy's feet, panting, wagging her tail and looking for attention. Mark says, you know, how, how can you be mad at a cute old lady like her? Marcy squats down with both her hands on each side of Rose's head, scratching her ears. Marcy says, all right, you old bag. You can ride in the truck with us on the way back. Gals before dickheads, Rose. Gals before dickheads. And Gary chimes in. Just a little fun, Marcy. Marcy says, so where was Mark at? 
I'm guessing there was no monster. Mark breaks in. Oh, there, there's never been in the. We've never been in these woods. We've gotten lost a few times, but that was just around the farm. Marcy a little bit scared at this point now, or a little ner- more nervous at this point. So you've never been out here before. How do you know it's safe? And Gary breaks in. What? Well, Gary chimes in. It'll be fine. See, the trail seems to be used some just late in the year. Otherwise, I'm sure we'd see a crap ton of people. Let's go. Curious to see how far this trail goes. So let me cut to the exterior woods just next to the field day. So this is a different shot. You see somebody kind of looking at this group through some foliage. So looking down at the group just in your range, you see a pair of older-looking hands wearing worn gloves with the fingertips cut off the gloves. You can see Sarah, Mark, Gary, and Marcy through some brush. So in the distance, you kind of hear Marcy say, We're still going to the mall later, right? Mark comes. Mark says, Sure, we can go to the mall. And then Sarah kind of gets her little bit in and saying, as long as we stop for ice cream. And Gary, finishing up that little thought, is saying, ice cream sounds amazing. So then we see some, you know, we hear some random chatter between the group as they're kind of going through the woods. And Rose barks a few times, circling the group excitedly. And then that hand that was watching moves away from holding the foliage and disappears as the group disappears in the woods. So exterior trail in the woods. Now we're in this trail. So the trail is about five to eight feet wide. The sky is overcast, and the tree coverage limits the light on the trail. So it's a little bit dimmer, even though it's during the day. Gary and Sarah are walking next to each other, no longer arm in arm, but they're, they're not upset. They're just kind of walking to give themselves a little bit of a, a moving room. Marcy and Mark are trailing a bit uh, behind as they look at the trees and squirrels that run just off the trail. So Marcy says, look, there's one. I just can't get over how cute they are. When you visit, I'll have to show you how friendly they are on campus. Little guys just eat food right out of your hand. Mark is looking around, not giving his full attention to Marcy. And so he's kind of just kind of like not listening, just giving him a little bit. And he says, yeah, 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 that'd be cool. So Mark takes his head off and wipes his brow with his shirt. Mark says, should have put on the lighter jacket. I'm breaking out in a little sweat. Gary looks back at Mark and smirks. You always did run a bit warm, huh? Remember going camping? It'd be just a shade over 40 degrees, and this guy would be complaining his sleeping bag was too hot. And he kind of gives a little microphone. I can't sleep. It's too hot. Scoot over. Mark reaches up and gently shoves Gary. And Mark says, well, at least I don't get the chills like a little old lady. Mark begins mocking Gary in an old southern lady's voice. Oh, I do believe I'm caught a chill. The temperature should drop below 75. Oh, how long will I ever go on? Mark puts the back of his hand to his forehead and begins to faint. Oh, me. Sarah and Marcy giggle. Gary, without looking back, gives Mark the finger. This is, so this is the kind of thing. Whenever, you know, Mark says something to Gary, he just... Puts his hand right up, doesn't even look at him, gives him the finger. And Mark says, that's not very ladylike, jerk. And they both kind of have a mockingly, smile at each other mockingly. So, I mean, it's just kind of like that brother relationship going on. Uh, so, exterior, trail in the woods. So, Sarah and Gary are now walking hand in hand. Mark and Marcy are talking inaudibly and looking out at the woods. Rose can be heard panting close by the group. So, Sarah says, turned out to be a great day. Gary comes back. Gary comes in and says, yeah, I thought we might get a storm. Looked like it earlier, but seems like it passed. Thanks again for going. No, you'd rather have, you know, done something else. And Sarah kind of says sarcastically, kind of mocking Marcy at this point. Oh, I know. We could have been at the mall, buying some new shoes, eating some unhealthy food court grub, and dealing with all those hung over, drunk, preparing to get drunk college kids. And Gary says sarcastically, wow. We skipped that? Oh, God, let's just go back. Gary and Sarah both kind of laugh because they're kind of making fun of the relationship that Marcy and um, Mark have. And Gary continues talking. He says, how the hell did we get through all that? College was supposed to be better than high school, right? 
And Sarah says, we went to community college, which isn't bad, but when your entire high school goes to the same community college, it's basically high school except everyone can buy cigarettes. So Gary says, yeah, that's true. From his visits to CSU, Mark doesn't make a bigger school sound much better. And Sarah kind of quiets down just not to be overheard in a quieter voice. That's all about the person he's visiting. How would you feel going to visit your girlfriend and you hear guys ask when she's going to start dancing? And Gary says, no wonder he doesn't want to go visit anymore. Last year he went every weekend, probably just because he couldn't trust her. So we cut to the trail in the woods. So Marcy and Mark and Marcy are walking about 15 feet behind Gary and Sarah. So they're kind of splitting up in the group, and we're kind of focused now on Marcy and Mark's conversation. So Marcy says, but it'll be fun, Mark, a week in Mexico. Sun, booze, dancing. My parents already said they would pay for half of my trip. I can't turn that down. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I really want you to be there, but honestly, I can't say no to my friends. So they're kind of having a bickering argument now at this point. So Mark says, I understand, but we could just take that money and go somewhere closer. Just a me and you kind of thing. I mean, we really never get to be alone. It's Marcy interjects. No, don't give me that we never get to be alone crap. This weekend was supposed to be just us. Now look, we're out here in the woods with your brother and future sister-in-law. We have plenty of time to be alone on spring break. Mark chimes back in. We are going to be sharing a cheap roach motel with close to a dozen people when are we going to be alone and then marcy says well on the beach we will be alone mark frustrated at this point says if you consider thousands of drunk douchebags and topless slutty chicks alone marcy raises her voice to just below shouting well mark you're either going with me or i'm going by myself that's just how it's going to be at this point their conversation is getting loud enough that gary and sarah can hear so Gary and Sarah can hear Marcy shouting and both look back at them. Mark looks away sheepishly, turning his attention the opposite direction of Marcy. So he, you know, he sees his brother and future sister-in-law looking his way, and he kind of is like, it's basically like you know, nobody likes to fight with their significant other in front of somebody, and that's what's going on here. And so Marcy crosses her arm just above her belt and starts to chew on her thumb. So Sarah and Gary slow down to let Mark and Marcy catch up. Sarah speaks up to try and change the subject. So she's trying to you know, make sure that this is going okay, like to make this day a good day. So Sarah says, so, Mark, uh, how's baseball going? And Mark says, it's all right. Smaller school with a bad program, so it is what it is. And Marcy jumps right in. You could just play at CSU. And Mark gets real frustrated at this because it's kind of like, you know, somebody just telling you, like, oh, just play Major League Baseball. Like, you can do that, right? So he says, Mars, I've told you, I'm not good enough for a Division I school. If I was, then I wouldn't have had to walk on at J-Dub. They practically take anyone, and I barely made it on the team. And Marcy says, you just have to try harder. It really doesn't seem that difficult. I mean, if I want better grades, I just have to try harder. When I was in cheerleading in high school, I even knew then, if I wanted the team to do better, I just had to cheer them on to try harder. And Gary's brother kind of sarcastically jumps in. Yeah, geez, Mark, if you try harder, you'd be president by now. So Mark has a relieved smile on his face because his brother's kind of helping him out, kind of, you know, trying to lighten the mood. And Marcy, you know, probably has been in this situation before where the brothers kind of try to make each other feel good, at not at her expense, but because she's kind of hurting Mark's feelings. You know, they kind of, like, are feeding off that a little bit. Um, so she kind of rolls her eyes. So Rolls begins to bark in short burst after three to five barks. She can be heard growling, so you hear up in the distance that she's growling. So over his Mark's shoulder, you can see Rose at the top of the hill looking at something off screen. So Gary kind of shouting, Rose, here, girl, Rose. Rose looks back and then runs forward at the direction she was barking. Rose! Gary screams at her because she just takes off for whatever it is. 
So Gary runs ahead from the group to where Rose ran off to. to. He runs from the group as the rest pick up their pace, but do not seem as worried as Gary. So Gary's like, oh, shit, this is my dog, and we're in the woods. Like, what is she barking at? Uh, and Mark kind of loudly shouts, Rose, come on, girl. Mark talking towards Sarah and Marcy. Must have been a bird, squirrel all around us to chase, but if, if there is a bird, poof, she's gone. And Sarah, ch- Sarah kind of says, must have been a big bird. I haven't seen her run that fast in a long time. And Marcy says, if she gets shit all over her, she is not riding in the truck. So Sarah looks at Marcy sarcastically with a hint of irritation applies. Well, you could always ride in the truck bed, Sarah. And you hear Gary scream with, Rose, 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 kind of off in the distance. So at this point now, Sarah and Mark, you know, they stop to look at each other. Like, oh, shit, something's not right. And so Mark bumps past both girls running in the direction of Gary. Because this is kind of his dog, too. So cut to exterior, off the trail in a clearing day. So off the same trail over a hill, there's a small clearing. Near the edge of a clearing, there's a slope that goes down about 100 feet. It isn't a straight drop, but a slant, so it's kind of a steep hill. Mark appears over the hill, falling a few seconds by Sarah and Mar- Marcy. Gary's been over frantically, like, moving it back and forth, and you can see his hands, like, doing something by Rose, but you can't tell what it is. And at his side, on the ground next to his leg, you can see a dog tail and back legs, that, uh, but not the rest of her body. So he, he's kind of standing over, kind of frantic. And you hear Gary kind of saying, oh, hold on, girl. I, I don't know what I did. Shh, I, I, lay down, lay down. You know, Rose is making kind of whining sounds at this point in pain. So Gary's kneeling on the ground as the rest of the group are walking up to him. Over his shoulder, the group can see Rose as they step, has stepped into, a, like, a trap, some kind of, like, game trap. So trying to trap, like, you know, uh, probably possums or any kind of, like, uh, bigger animals, and then she accidentally stepped in one. Um, her leg looks to be broken. There's a pool that's starting to kind of get around the chains. And the boat is not tr- protruding, but you can clearly tell she's in pain. So Gary is frantically trying to get the trap off. He has his fingers between the teeth of the trap, but he isn't able to pry it open. Because, uh, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's almost like a bear trap, but not quite that big. Uh, Mark is looking around trying to find something or figure out a way to help. He then does a double takeoff to the far side of the trail and runs off. So he's, you know, trying to figure something out to help. Sarah and Gary, Sarah and Gary squat around Rose as Mark returns with a metal rod about two and a half to three feet long. Gary only then seems to notice that the group has copped him. Sarah, Sarah, hold her down. You know, because Gary's really freaked. Cause this is his dog. I mean, any dog that get, would get in this situation, you'd be pretty sad about. So Gary puts her hands on Rose's head to try and keep her from moving. So Mark is yelling. He's like, Marcy, Gary and I will get it open, and you have to pull her leg out. Marcy has one arm across her belly and the other hand to her mouth, chewing on her thumb. So she's just kind of biting. It's like a nervous tick. So she's someone shocked to the scene unfolding and not acknowledging Mark. So she's, you know, obviously this is kind of, like, caught up in this moment as well. So Sarah says, here. So Sarah slides over to where she can get her hand on Rose's head and get a grip of her leg. So she's trying to hold her down and pull her leg out. I can do it. Just let's get her out. So Mark gets the metal rod ready as Gary pries open the trap enough to get the rod in. As they try to get it open, Sarah pulls Rose's leg out. Just as Rose's leg clears the trap, just as Rose's leg clears the trap, the rod slips, letting the trap slam back shut with a loud, barely missing Mark's hand. So cut to exterior, clearing next to the game trap, day. Gary is just standing with Rose in his arm, frantically circling, trying to decide what to do. Sarah takes off her beanie and puts it around Rose's leg, applying pressure. Gary and Sarah and Mark are standing in a semicircle as Marcy is a yard or two away from the group. So she hasn't even come back to the group. because I think just blood, this whole scene, she just does not handle the stuff well. So Mark says, how, how bad is it, Gary? How bad? And Sarah says, it's bleeding really bad. We've got to get out of here and get her to a vet. And Gary says, it took us a few hours to get here and another hour to drive. Can we call someone? Get, get Dad on the phone. So Sarah digs in her front, then checks her back pockets. And she says, I left my phone in the truck. Gary says, I don't have mine. Mark says, fuck, I left mine at home. 
and Marcy sheepishly in a hushed tone speaks up. I, I've, I've got mine. So the only person that has their phone is Marcy. So Marcy is staying with her phone in one hand, and her other hand is in her mouth chewing on her thumb, and she is shaking from the side of blood. So she's just, like, again, it's a nervous tick. She's just chewing away at her thumb. Not like chewing it to the bone, but kind of like just chewing at the sides, chewing at her nail, things like that. Uh, Sarah and Gary move past Marcy and start heading back to the way they came. So they're, they're basically, like, carrying the dog, trying to get back to where they came and trying to get a phone call. So Mark, so Gary says, Mark, call Dad and see if he can get down someone down here. Mark says, what do you, what do you want him to bring? I don't know the vet, doctor, doctor, I, I don't know, just call. Gary and Sarah move back down the trail in the direction they came. After every few steps, you can hear Rose whimper. Marcy has her phone in her hand waiting for the instructions on what to do. So Marcy has the phone. Says, I, don't, I don't have your dad's number. What's his number? And Mark, because nobody knows numbers these days. You put him in the, you know, you put him in for uh, your phone book and you hit the name. You don't know numbers. And Mark's trying to remember this. He's like, 303 no, wait, it's 303 fuck, no, what is it? And Gary says, 303-712-0, I, I, don't, I don't remember. Sarah says, it's fine, it's fine. Let's get to the truck, and we can get her to the vet. So in front of the group, Sarah's still holding her beanie on Rose, so she's kind of got tied as like a, um, kind of a, just a way to keep the blood from going. Um, the beanie is now visibly soaked with blood, with drops falling from each step. Gary has drops of blood on his shirts and pants. After each step, he tries to catch his breath and fights back tears. Because, I mean, this is his dog. Like, he's already like, this is the last time, and this is what's going to happen. Marcy is still looking at her phone frantically, sliding her finger back and forth on the screen. So Mark is watching her hand with both of his in his head. Marcy says, I'm trying to find the number for the vet. I, I, I can't get a signal. Nothing, I can't, there's no signal. Nothing's coming up. And so, again, she, like everybody's kind of like in panic mode at this point. So the group walks around a bend of trees in the trail and are walking towards an older man. So there's a guy sitting in front of what they don't see. He's looking towards the group. His name is Dr. Gilbert Palinock. He's in his late 70s to 80s, gray hair, gray stubble beard, blue overcoat, looks to have patches torn off on the coat, a pair of small lens glasses. He's standing on an old cane uh, where the top pieces have been broken off and a makeshift cane head has been replaced. So it's like, this is an old, old cane that he's like just makeshift into like an actual cane. So it's has a lot of wear and tear. So Dr. Gilbert Palinock gives a slight non-sinister smile. So one that gives off the sense that he is excited to see people. Showing his teeth as he smiles, they look brown from lack of care. Above his left eye, he has a scar. So Dr. Gilbert Palinock has a hint of a German accent. Not comedic, but enough if you were here in a hurry, you might miss it. Um, so I'll, I'll try to do his um, accent as good as I can. But Dr. Gilbert Palinock says, oh, hello. <laughs> Maybe I can't do it. So Dr. Gilbert Palinock says, oh, hello. Been a while since I've seen anyone. And then he sees the dog. He's like, oh, no, what happened? Sarah and Gary walk by Dr. Gilbert Palinock. So he's like, they, I mean, they're in the middle of nowhere. He's like, they don't even realize that there's a guy there because they're worried about this dog. And Marcy and Mark slow down. So Mark is like, she stepped in some trap. Dr. Gilbert Palinock says, oh, no. Dr. Gilbert Palinock looks back at Sarah and Gary as they keep moving down the trail. Uh, and then he continues on. He says, I'm sorry. It's, it looks bad. Please, please follow me. I have a cabin just up the way. I can help. Mark and Marcy stop a few feet after passing Dr. Gilbert Palinock. And Mark says, we need a vet. And Dr. Gilbert Palinock says, I was a doctor in the army. I sewed up my fair share of men. I've patched up my share of animals since the war's end. I have the equipment to save her. From the blood she is losing, she won't make it much further. So Mark is shouting, Gary, there's a cabin. He says he can help. So we'll cut to interior of Dr. Gilbert Palinock's cabin day. So inside his cabin, it looks much like a very small home than a cabin in the woods. The cabin has a small kitchen with an old gas stove, small island to the side with a pantry that is freestanding, not attached or built into the wall. 
There's a small fridge width-wise but normal height. Very few cupboards painted blue and chipped. Small dining area to the left with two rooms to the, the right of the building. So it's very, very small cabin, very, just 400 square foot, like very, very small. Probably even smaller than that. So the front door opens and we see Dr. Pollock standing to the side, letting the group in first. So Gary enters first, holding Rose, who is making very little noise and letting off a low growl when she enters. So she's kind of just whimpering. And as they walk in, she kind of lets a growl. Maybe like a, from a smell or something like that. So Sarah enters next, uh, then reapplies the, the pressure to Rose's leg. Uh, Mark enters, then by uh, then followed by Marcy. So the last person is Dr. Gilbert Palinock. Slowly walks through the doorway last. He points to the dining room table. Slide the table over to the kitchen. He motions to Marcy. Grab the bag in the corner. Mark grabs the small wooden table in the dining room and slides it to the kitchen. The table bounces on its uneven legs. So Marcy nervously walks to the bag with one arm around her waist, and again, she's chewing her th- like it's a very, very nervous tick. Gary places Rose on the table, putting his hands on the beanie, applying pressure. Sarah moves behind Gary and starts putting Rose while wiping away tears from her eyes with her other hand. So Mark is frustrated. So Marcy, here. Come on, give me the bag. So Marcy has only gone about halfway back to the kitchen, but Mark rushes over and yanks the bag from her hands and then gives it to the doctor. So Dr. Gilbert Palinock sets the bag on the edge near Rose, removes his glove, and pulls out a couple of packages and tools. So Dr. Gilbert Palinock, we need to stop the bleeding, get her leg covered, and then get the leg set. We can stand to lose no more blood. Gary has both hands on her leg, applying pressure, blood squeezing out like a sponge full of water, never moving his eyes from Rose. Dr. Gilbert Palinock puts his hand on Gary's and looks straight at him. So he's trying to comfort this one. Almost like, I mean, very much good bedside manner coming from Dr. Gilbert Palinock. He says, you will have to trust me. She needs help, and I can fix her. So Gary nods and pulls his hand away, giving a slosh sound like a wet rag. As he backs away, he wipes his eyes with the shoulder of his shirt, moving to the other side of Sarah. She's looking at Rose, whose eyes flutter open slightly as she still softly growls. As Dr. Pong is getting closer, she kind of growls a little bit. So he goes to work, opening the package with his teeth. So he's, you know, just grabs it, rips it open right away with his bad teeth. So in a quick motion, he removes the beanie and pours white powder on Rose's wound. Her wound slightly sizzles like the sound of baking soda mixing with water makes when it bubbles on the ground. She makes a soft groan right as the powder begins to sizzle. And then Mark very nervous about this starts screaming like what is that it's hurting her and dr gilbert looks at mark this powder is what will stop her bleeding it is already slowing rose's leg has stopped bleeding and dr gilbert dr gilbert palinock runs his hand over her leg flaking the excess powder so this is just some kind of like uh probably like thing you would see in like an army bag where if there's a wound they put it on there and it kind of like like somewhat cauterizes the wound so dr gilbert palinock says we need to get this cleaned and set so Dr. Gilbert Palinock runs his hand over Rose's leg, and the powder is now dry. He pours what looks like alcohol on Rose's leg. Rose squirms on the table but puts up little fight, so he's, she's really, really wore out at this point. So Dr. Palinock begins to wipe her leg with a white bandage, and he says, We'll need to keep this clean. Once she has regained some strength, we can set the leg. I'm worried any more stress may end up hurting her more. And Gary says, Is she... Would she be okay? Sarah puts her hand on Gary's elbow, noticing the blood on her face for the first time. As she pulls it away, a bloody handprint is left on his shirt. Doctor says, she seems to be a fighter. I will not say for sure if she will be okay. With her age and the amount of blood, it is difficult to say. I will do my best to help her survive. Sarah says, come on, let's, let's wash this blood off us. And doctor says, this, there's a stream outside. Sarah talking to, or Mark talking to Sarah and Gary says, we'll go out with you. So Sarah and Gary walk out first, followed by Mark and Marcy. Dr. Gilbert Palinock looks at the direction of the, the pantry and then down at Rose. 
He finishes his last thought as the door closes in a semi-eerie, sad voice. He says, I always help them survive. So as he's left alone, he kind of says that to himself. So Dr. Gilbert removes his glasses, cleans the lens, and on his ring finger, there is a ring that is stamped with the German Nazi SS. So we cut to the exterior outside the cabin next to the stream day. So just outside the cabin, a little ways away, there is a small creek with clear water flowing. The area is in a small clearing with large trees all around. Birds can be heard chirping with a squirrel barking off in the distance. Gary stands near the water, staring at his hands while Sarah is squatting down, washing Rose's blood off her hands. She finishes cleaning her hands and then notices Gary hasn't started washing his, so he's still pretty much in shock. So Sarah says, Rose is going to make it. She's tough. She's been beat up before. Gary in a hushed voice while staring at his hands. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of in shock. Sarah says, the doctor in there knew what he was doing. The bleeding stopped and she seemed a little calmer. And Gary just kind of says, yeah. Sarah stands up and takes Gary's hand in hers, pulling his eyes away from his hands to her eyes. Sarah says, she's going to be okay. And Gary says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah guides Gary down towards the water so he can start cleaning off his hands. He is fighting back tears and wiping his hands off on his shoulder. Mark begins talking to no one in particular, and Mark says, When can we take her back? Mark says, Should we go back to the truck? Can we even drive it to this cabin? So Mark says a little bit frustrated, we, we, we would get it stuck for sure, between the shit in the trail and the ruts. We should just go ahead and take her now. She stopped bleeding. We can make it back not too much after dark. And Gary says, It's already getting too dark. Not, not going to help her any if, we, if we're out here and we get lost. And Sarah says, I don't even know if I could find the damn trail. So Gary, Marcy, Mark all together agreed that they couldn't find it either. So they just kind of like, yeah, the trail. So Gary gets a hold of his bearings, more so now that Mark is around. So Mark kind of um, anchors him a little bit. And he tries not to show his most emotions in front of Mark because he's the older brother. So Gary says, let's talk with the doctor and see what he can do. And Marcy kind of going back into like her, you know, woes me. Please tell me we are not staying in that cabin. And Gary says, I don't even know if we have a choice. Marcy begins to chew on her thumb with her other arm around her waist. So she would stop, clean her hands, and, you know, as she gets nervous, anxious, she starts chewing on her hand again. So we cut to interior inside the cabin night. So Dr. Gilbert Palnock comes walking into the dining room, wiping his hands on a rug with dried blood. Neither the rag or Dr. Gilbert Palnock's hand consists of any fresh blood. So the doctor says the bleeding has stopped and the leg is set. She's still having trouble breathing. I'd suggest not moving her for a few more hours. Gary comes up and says, you know, thank you, very, you know, thank you for your help. The doctor says, I've always had a love for animals. I've never liked to see them suffer. There isn't much room here, but you can stay the night. The woods can be very dangerous after the sun goes down. One wrong turn and you'd be lost for days. Gary says, I think we'd better take you up on that offer. I'll make sure we pay you back for the help and letting us stay here for the night. So we cut to interior, cabin in the kitchen, night. So at the edge of the kitchen, where the dining room and kitchen meet, the kitchen floor is hardwood and the dining room has old, flat, gray carpet. DeRose is now laying on a makeshift dog bed made up of old-looking blankets and towels at the corner of the kitchen. Marcy and Mark are laying against each other near the wall on the far end of the dining room, and Sarah's lying a few feet from them using one of the, hoodie, one of the hoodies as a pillow. So there's not even really any beds for them. They're just kind of crashing wherever they can find. Gary and Dr. Gilbert Palinock are standing next to each other near the fridge in the kitchen. Each is holding a tin cup filled with coffee. Gary answers a question that was not asked before the, start of the scene started. 
So Gary's answering a question that um, wasn't asked. So he says, been working there since I was about 18. Not the greatest, but it's something. Dr. Gilbert, Dr. Gilbert Palinok's German accent is a bit heavier now and easier to pick up. So it's kind of like he's getting a little bit more comfortable, not, not hiding it as much. Some jobs are much more difficult than others, especially when the task can be challenging. And this is where Gary kind of finally picks up. Like, I, I didn't notice your accent earlier. Where are, you, where, where are you from? And the doctor says, nowhere close. Uh, the doctor looks back at Sarah, Mark, and Marcy to check if they are asleep. To kind of just make sure it's just those two. And the doctor says, I've stayed here alone for lots of years. I've forgotten how nice it is to be around living people. I've gotten sold that it may be time for someone to know my story. So I was a soldier in World War II. And Gary says, well, did you serve in the Pacific or in the European? And the doctor says, Europe, on the losing side. And at this point, Gary's bringing the coffee up and kind of stops as he just kind of realizes what he says. Did, did you say losing? Like, Nazi Germany? Did you say losing? Like, Nazi Germany losing? And the doctor says, yes. The problem with being German is when a crazed madman tells you that you are going to war... You have two choices, fight or die. And the doctor motions for Gary to follow, and he says, follow me. So he turns and heads towards the, the bedroom. So cut to the interior cabin bedroom at night. Inside the second bedroom, there's a dresser off to the side. There's nothing else much in terms of furnishing except a rug over the middle of the wooden floor. The doctor is moving some light random items off the rug, and Gary is standing off to the side, Sits his coffee on the floor and helps the doctor move stuff off the rug. So the doctor says, Hitler knew the war was going to be difficult. I'm sure you've heard all of the stories of him trying to create super soldiers or werewolf women. The experiments that I, the experiments that we did, and he kind of pauses and continues. I led a team of scientists on an experiment to find a way to keep our soldiers from dying. Keep them in the fight. As the war was coming to an end, I convinced him to send me away to protect what we had discovered. He pauses, and as they move the last item off the rug, he continues. Hitler had purchased land in the United States. The land was here in Colorado. Multiple pieces, actually. One he made very public, leaving a trail that would be fairly easily found. When the war started, the United States government quickly confiscated that property of land. The other properties, those went unnoticed. And Gary says, this is land that was owned by Adolf Hitler? And the doctor laughs a little bit. It was! But what the government hates more than land owned by Adolf Hitler is land owned by anyone who doesn't pay taxes. After a few years of taxes not getting paid, the U.S. government reclaimed the land as a natural reserve. But no real effort was made to the area, so I was able to continue my work. And Gary asked him, well, what kind of work? And the doctor replies, my life's work. So Dr. Gilbert Palinock removes the rug, revealing a door. He lifts open the door, and it leads to a set of stairs. The stairs are not spooky-looking, but look more as if they lead into some type of lab or work office. And the entrance looks more professional than the cabinet itself. So it's like he's opening this thing. It's like this is a hidden uh, lab that, you know, lights are really bright. Like, you know, very more high-tech than what you would expect for the, uh, the cabin. So interior lab, basement night. So the basement is set up as a lab and a lot better looking than the cabin. There are two separate tables with chemistry, lab equipment, microscopes, but no computers. Dr. Gilbert Palinuk standing at the bottom of the stairs, 
keeping Gary from seeing the inside of the lab. He is not purposely blocking Gary to hide anything, but he's just kind of in the way, and he kind of continues on the story. So the doctor says, We started trials on vermin. During the war, it was not difficult to find rats or mice. We'd start by injecting them first. Then we'd drown them. After their body stopped, we'd wait to see if they could still function. Failure after failure, the Fuhrer was not happy. Failure is never acceptable. So Dr. Gilbert Palnick looks down at the back of the lab, and he continues talking. I knew I was close, and the war was starting to turn in favor of the Allies, so I slowed my productivity. Once Hitler knew there was little time left in the war, he sent me here. It happened quickly. Leaving Germany, I gathered as much as I could. The funds had been moved. Nazis had money stashed all over the world. I was determined to finish this experiment. And Gary says, what do you want you to finish? And Dr. Gilbert Palnock says, it would be easier to show you, but I'm going to have to warn you, it is better than it looks. And Dr. Gilbert Palnock and Gary walk the length of the lab, passing the tables. There's plastic curtains similar to the entrance of like a fridge or a meat department. So just kind of, you know, they're like the big, thick plastic uh, um, curtains. And Dr. Gilbert Palnock putting his hand on the curtains, looks back at Gary and says, let me show you my bears. So once inside, it's obvious that the temperature is cool by the visible breath that Gary and Dr. Pell. So this is like a meat locker. This is cold, cold. Gary shivers as he walks in, rubbing his hand together, kind of blowing in to keep him warm. A few feet from the curtains, there are two large brown bears laying unchained on the concrete floor. Their eyes are closed and they are not breathing. They are missing patches of fur. One is missing an ear and the other is missing an eye. Dr. Gilbert Palnock says, They were wounded when I found them, dying. I saved them. And Dr. Gilbert Palnock looks down at the bears with a sad expression on his face. And Gary starts to speak. He's unnerved because it's like they're two dead bears. How long ago did they die? The doctor says, I saved them ten years ago. They are not dead, but have survived. Once their physical body shuts down, the powder goes in to work, allowing them to survive. And then the doctor shows a vial and a needle, and he continues, I keep them sedated and cool since their bodies have continued to slowly deteriorate. Their hunger can be a bit overwhelming. It took years to create this serum to keep them in this state, but they survive. Don't you see I've finally done good in this world? And Dr. Gilbert Pollock turns towards the bears, getting ready to inject them, and you kind of hear behind them Mark sneaking down, you know, because he's probably heard some, some talking and everything, and uh, he's scared. He says, holy shit, bear! Dr. Gilbert Pound is startled and quickly turns. As he whips around, he drops the vial. The vial falls and breaks on the floor, and his face shows, like, frustration, shock, and terror because it's just exploded on the ground, and is, you know, this vial has now had the contents spread across the floor. And he says, what have you done? That was my last one. There's no time to make more before they will be put to be fed. So we have the two bears, one eye and one ear. So one ear bear opens its eyes, which are glossed over and empty-looking, zombified. So we cut to interior cabin dining room night. In the dining room, Marcy and Sarah are both laying on the floor with their hoodies as pillows. Gary and Mark rush up the, up the spare, from the spare room, banging into the door and making a lot of noise, startling the girls. Mark says, come on, wake up. We are leaving. Get your stuff. They're both kind of groggy. Oh, what? Gary says, it's not safe here. We are taking Rose now and leaving. And Dr. Pollock is slowly walking up out of the bedroom. It's going to be okay. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have gotten so upset. They weren't breathing. How can they open their eyes and move? They weren't breathing, Gary's kind of saying. The doctor says, their bodies may not be living, but they are still beautiful creatures. The same beautiful creatures they were before. The last time they woke, it was weeks before they needed to be fed. 
but I've improved the powder since then. It takes a lot longer for the hunger to set in. And this kind of hits Gary's like, what, what powder? And Rose makes her way over the group sitting down next to Gary and kind of looks down at her. No, Gary says, you didn't. The, the powder, you used it on. The doctor says, she is alive and when her body gives out, she will come back. She will still be her Rose. And Rose is standing with her tail extended and growls at the spare bedroom. So Gary, Marcy, Sarah, and Mark all look down at Rose and then to the room. And Sarah says, what's, what's in there? And everyone in the room is kind of standing in silence. And she says again, Gary, what's in there? And the doctor kind of has a sad, defeated sound. I only want to survive. I only wanted to help them. And then you hear a large, muffled growl come from the spare bedroom. Then there's the muffled sound of breaking glass tables getting knocked over and commotion from the lab. And Gary says, we are going. Come on. So all four of them all rush to the door. Gary's the last one to the door. He looks back at Rose, who is still growling at the bedroom. He says, Rose! 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 And Rose looks at the spare bedroom, then looks at the doctor, and then finally turns towards Gary. She rushes to the door, following Gary out into the woods. And again, the doctor says, I've only wanted to help. And we hear a loud crash as the bears break through the door to the lab into the dining room. Running out, they look at the dining room, confused by where they are. One ear notices the doctor and runs forward, smacking with his paw, sending him into the wall. Moving forward to attack while one eye moves into the kitchen towards the door, knocking over the kitchen table and finally heading out the door. Hearing the noise, one ear follows him out into the woods. Doctor, the doctor lays unconscious in a small pool of blood. His hand is outstretched with his ring showing and there's blood smeared over the SS mark in his ring. So we cut to exterior in the woods. So the woods are covered with medium thick brush and the sun is just starting to come up to reveal a few inches of fresh snow. So Mark leads the group followed by Marcy and Sarah. Gary's a little ways behind with Rose running behind him a few feet back. Everyone has breath trails as they're running so it's really cold. So it wasn't really cold that day but that night it just dropped. The temperature just dropped. So Mark is pushing away brush with clumps of snow falling on his head as he goes. The sound of crunching snow can be heard as they run from the cabin. The group comes to a small clearing, just enough room for them all to stand together. And Sarah's like, what was that? What was in there? And Mark is kind of frustrated. This, or Mark is kind of uh, beside himself at this point. It, it, it had fucking dead bears, but they weren't dead. I freaked the fuck out seeing a dead bear, but they looked dead. They were dead, right? Those fucking bears were fucking dead. Gary says, they weren't breathing. I don't know. They looked dead. You heard it. Does a dead bear walk around and growl? In the distance, a loud growling can be heard. Everyone looks back in the direction that they just came running from. Rose begins to growl in the direction of the bears. Halfway through, Rose growls. She coughs and spits something up. So she kind of starts growling. She kind of gargles a little bit and spits. And it chokes and kind of coughs it up. And Gary says, we got to get to the truck and get out of here. I don't care if that is a living bear or a fucking zombie bear. We have to get the fuck out of here. So group takes off through the woods again with Rose falling close behind. And we kind of zoom in on where the, the snow patch was where Rose coughed up and you see kind of like a big splotch of blood. So we cut to an opening in the woods. The group reaches a large flat opening in the woods. The clearing is about the size of a baseball outfield. The sun has just about reached the top of the trees and is now giving off enough light to see. So the group stops in the surroundings looking around. Mark moves forward about 15 to 20 feet. Sarah and Gary are on the opposite direction about 10 feet. So Marcy stands in the middle with her arm around her waist and she's chewing on her thumb again. So again, she's just like... This is way too much pressure. This is, like, way too much stress. Gary says, this does not look like where we need to be. Like, I thought this would be where the trail was. And Sarah says, I was looking at the rose the whole time. I, I have no clue where we are. 
and Mark is a little borderline hysterical. He's like, it was too fucking dark. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And Marcy is screaming, why? Why did you talk me into this? We are lost in the fucking woods being chased, all because your brother wanted to take that damn dog out for one more fucking walk. Well, great, Gary. Now we're all fucked. Hey, Mark, why don't you see what else your brother can do to let you down? And Sarah begins to move to Mark. He's like, fuck this shit. He says, listen here, you dumb little. And from the direction the group entered into the, the clearing, one ear burst through the brush, knocking into a small tree. Part of the tree shards cut out a chunk from one ear's shoulder. So it's like he's falling apart even as he's, you know, coming through these trees. He takes a few steps forward, shaking the snow off his head. No breath steam coming out of his mouth. So he's not breathing at all, but he's still just moving. He sniffs once toward the group, letting out a growl. The group moves closer to form a protective circle frozen with fear. One ear takes a few more slow steps towards the group and sprints towards them. As one ear closes in about 15 feet, Rose jumps from the side, grabbing one ear's only ear, turning his head 180 degrees. The momentum pulls one ear's head around, pulling him to the ground. Rose's momentum takes her about five feet from where one ear lands. Rose turns around, and in her mouth is one ear's other ear. So now one ear's no ears. She lets out a soft growl and swallows the ear. Rose hunches down and lets out a full growl with a blast of breath steam coming out. Gary yells, run! So the group takes off to the far side of the, the clearing. Marcy's in front, followed by Sarah, Mark, and then Gary. Once they get to about 30 feet from the edge of the woods, Gary stops looking back at Rose, who is circling one ear. So once they get to about 30 feet from the clearing, so like right on the edge of this clearing where they're getting back in the woods, Gary stops and looks back at Rose, who is circling one ear, who's now no ear. He takes two steps towards Rose, kind of going back, but Sarah and Mark grab him by each arm and pull him towards the clearing. They're like, no, we, you can't. Marcy has continued to run, to getting to the edge of the woods, not showing any concern for the group or Rose. At the edge of the woods, she turns to look back at the group. So Marcy's way ahead of them, and she yells, Forget about the fucking dog! Let's get out of here! And all of a sudden, the other bear, one-eye, emerges from the edge of the woods and pounces on Marcy, pinning her down with one paw growling down at her. His mouth is snarling at her with saliva dripping from his jaws. Marcy screams for help as one eye has a paw on her back. She's struggling to move, but all she can move is her arm, while her legs are motionless. Basically, like, broke her back. So the snow moves up past Marcy's face as she struggles to keep the snow from going in her mouth and nose. Getting out, choke screams and spinning out the snow, only to get more snow caught in her mouth. The patch of snow in front of her starts to turn red, with her spitting out snow mixed with blood. The snow around one eye's paw slowly begins to turn red. The snow around them begins to look similar to a cherry-flavored snow cone. So Mark turns from his brother and starts running towards Marcy. So... And this other Gary was trying to run to the dog. They're stopping him now. Mark's trying to run towards Marcy, and Sarah and Gary both grab him and try to uh, keep him from running over there. From the group's view, moving towards the clearing, we see through Mark's eyes as he is dragging towards the woods by... Uh, or we see Mark getting dragged into the other side of the woods trying to get away from this. So looking back, you can see one eye let out a loud growl, raise his head up, and start to dive down towards Marcy, hearing her choke scream for help. So from the group's view, you see them pulling Mark into the woods. And you can kind of see uh, one eye raise his head up, growl, and go down to bite on Marcy. But as you see him start to go down, the camera gets pulled into the woods. So you can't really see the actual event happen. But you can hear Marcy's screams get loud for a moment, then go away. Um, as you can just hear some like crunching and eating. And it mixed with the sound of Rose and One Ear fighting. So cut to exterior woods, small clearing day. So the small clearing is next to a creek that is in a five-foot ditch from where Gary, Sarah, and Mark stand. The creek is no more than a few inches deep. So Gary and Sarah stop at the edge of the bank, and Mark, somewhat shell-shocked from the events, trips and falls into the valley below, landing with his upper body landing in the water. And Gary 
yells for his brother Mark. So Gary jumps the bank, landing on his two feet, and slides forward on his hands and upper body. Quickly, he gets to his feet and then runs over to Mark. So Gary's, you know, checking on Mark. So, Mark, you okay? Before Gary can get to Mark, Mark is up out of the water. His hair is soaked, and part of his hoodie is soaked as well. He's coughing. Fuck! I'm fine. And off screen, you can hear Sarah climbing down the banks. Gary's asking Mark, you okay? Anything broke? Mark is, I mean, obviously with this whole situation going on, he's pretty frustrated. He says, no, I think I'm okay. What the fuck just happened? This this is not real. Like, she's, she's not. And Mark leans back against the bank with his face in the palms of his hands and slides down to the ground. He sits his hands popped up, elbows on his knees, and his hands covering his face. And Mark says, oh, God, what, what happened? I fucked up, Gary. I fucked up. I'm supposed to protect her. And Gary says, well, there's nothing we could do. If it, if it wasn't for Rose, we'd all be dead. And Mark kind of like, oh, shit, there's another person out of this group that's gone. It's like, Rose, what the hell got into her? I've never seen her do that. And Sarah says, guys, we have to keep moving. If we follow this cricket, it has to lead us somewhere. At least we'll know we are moving down the mountain. And Gary offers his hands to Mark to help him up. And he says, come on. So Gary pulls Mark up, and they both look upstream. The group then starts to move alongside the creek. Mark is walking fine with no visible food, so he's fine from the fall. But Gary has a slight limp kind of from him jumping down to check on his brother. So we cut to exterior woods day. So the sun begins to break the edge of the trees to show it is nearly noon. Alongside the creek, there's about a five-foot width um, where the creek varies in depth. So it's, you know, kind of goes in. Um, you can see rocks, and it kind of disappears, but can't see anything. And Gary's looking over at Sarah and says, you doing okay? And she says, a little bit out of it. I need to eat and get some water. And Mark says, well, what about the water in the creek this far up and away from the city? It should be clean, right? And Gary says, I don't know. I hate to take the chance. Last thing we need is have the shits. And Sarah looks around to the sides and back and looks back where they just walked from. And Sarah says, I haven't heard them for a while. If we could find a spot to set up, we could try to get the fire started and boil the water. And Mark says, unless you can rub two sticks together or have a lighter, I'm not sure how we can get a fire started. What will we even boil the water in? And she says, well, I was hoping one of you two had some Boy Scout skills I didn't know about. And Gary says, kind of wish I would have made it out of the Cub Scouts. And Mark says, yeah, or at least paid attention to that survivor guy on TV. And Gary chimes in with it. It was always the same. He'd rub two sticks together, and poof, there was a fire. Seemed too easy. Like the guy who paints trees. Let's just put a little fire right here and boil this water and look a happy group being chased by zombie bears. Gary and Sarah let out a small giggle that turns uncomfortable. They, they see Mark doesn't laugh. Sorry, Mark's lack of food. I'm really sorry about Marcy. You did all you could. I mean, you know that, right? Sarah puts her hands on Mark's shoulders, and he looks at her, and tears start to form in his eyes. She wouldn't have seen it that way. Never could do anything for her. She was a terrible girlfriend, but didn't deserve to die like that. As they turn around a bend in the creek off in the distance, there's a cabin. And the cabin looks very, very similar to Dr. Uh, Gilbert Palinox. Mark says, look, I see it. Sarah, with some concern, is that's not the same cabin, is it? And Gary kind of reaffirming, kind of looking around, is like, no. He looks a little bit closer at it. No, I, I don't think so. I don't remember there being so many trees. Let's head up there. Maybe someone has a phone or at worst some food and water. And they start making their way up to the cabin. So exterior outside cabin day. So the outside of the cabin, it looks very much like Dr. Pollock's. The only difference is that the door hasn't been destroyed. From the outside, it doesn't look like anyone has been in the cabin recently. There's, there's no tracks in the fresh snow, so there's no groups like have been in there. except for, There's no footprints except from the group. So Gary is the first to walk up the cabin with Sarah and Mark, following a few feet behind. 
He signals for Sarah and Mark to stay where they are, which is about 30 feet from the house. So Gary says quietly, all right, I'm going to look to see if there is a way in and see if anyone is inside. If you see anything out here, you holler, then run. So Sarah and Mark kind of non-verbally agree, kind of say, okay, we, we know what's going on here. They look at each other, and they non-verbally agree to have one look one way and one the other. So they're kind of like, okay, you look this way, you, I'll look this way. So the, the breath is starting to slow, uh, show a little bit less. So it seems like it's starting to warm up a little bit. And you kind of see some of the snow melting on the ground, kind of starting to melt from the, the cabin. So uh, Gary begins to walk up the house. The snow is sounding less crunchy just because it's more slosh now because it's warming up a little bit. He looks in the window and then cleans off the dirt and grime outside on the outside of the window. Inside looks very, very much like Dr. Pock, like almost identical down to the colors and the furnishings. The only exception is it looks like no one has been there for a while. Uh, not like year, like this isn't like, you know, dystopia years away, but just, you know, some dirt. Like doesn't look like things have been moved around. Gary tries the window, which is not locked, but stiff to open. So he's really trying to get into it. And then he climbs into the cabin. So cut to interior inside cabin. So the inside cabin, again, is very much like his everything from the wall color to the furnishings. Um, the only difference is that this one has not been destroyed. So Gary finds a flashlight near the front door. When he walks past the front door, he unlocks the door, uh, but it doesn't, but doesn't open it. So just kind of getting ready to let them in, but still just basically making it so he has a quick exit. He makes his way quickly through the small cabin, checking both rooms. One room has a bed and dresser. Uh, there are a handful of clothes hanging up in the closet. He moves the clothes around in the closet to get a better view of everything inside. So again, just trying to check to make sure this place is safe. In the other room, there's a giant rug, just like the other one, in the middle of the floor, and random items sitting on top of the rug. Every few steps in the cabin let off an excruciating loud creak. Uh, Gary heads back to the door to let Sarah and Mark back in, and as he gets to the door, he notices the same non-built-in pantry with a lock on it. He walks over and lifts the chain, looking at the lock. So we cut to exterior outside the cabin today. So Sarah and Mark are keeping watch as it's been a few minutes since Gary went in through the window. Mark is getting on his tippy toes as if that will help him see inside the dark cabin. Sarah and Mark exchange nervous looks when they hear a loud crashing sound from inside the cabin, and they both take off in a full sprint for the house. They both slam into the door with their shoulders. Cut to interior, inside of the cabin day. Sarah and Mark go bursting into the cabin, expecting the door to be locked and fall over each other. So they're going full blast to get this thing knocked over, like to bust this door down, but it's unlocked, so they kind of go flying into the cabin. And Gary is standing there. He says, you guys here to rescue me? They both look at... Um, Gary and see that his foot has fallen through the wooden flats to the foundation below about one and a half feet. Sarah says, termites? Gary says, I don't think so. Wood felt pretty soft. I'm guessing there has to be a leak somewhere. Mark looks around the cabin. And he said, Mark says, wow, you'd think we were back where we started. Gary says, yeah, let's, let's see if we can find any food. Save the spare room for last. Because that's where the, the previous lab was. So it's almost like, let's just leave that one be. So Gary takes a search of the bedroom. Mark checks the dining room. Sarah searches the kitchen. So Mark searches the dining room table, which is scat scattered with a few papers and a few old pictures. There's a bin next to the table. As he goes through, he finds medical documents on soldiers and experiment case numbers. At the far side of the dining room, there's a locked chest. He lifts the lock, tugs on it a few times, and continues the search. So he's, you know, can I open this? No? All right, let me find something else. Sarah, because, I mean, their main thing right now is trying to find water and food. Sarah walks around the hole in the floor and treads slightly around the kitchen, looking in each cabinet. She finds a few bottles of water, some spam, canned clams, mmm, and some stale crackers. Gary's in the bedroom and starts opening up each drawer, shifting through the clothes. He finds some dry socks, shirts, and jackets. He finds a key in the bottom shelf. Next to the key is an old Nazi pistol. The pistol has a full clip loaded and two clips next to it. 
He picks up the pistol magazine but drops one of the magazines on the floor. So the bottom drawer gives off a hollow thud. The bottom drawer turns out to be a fake bottom, and when Gary peels it open, he sees a vial marked H test that is empty and a map with markings. Gary sets the map, pistol, magazine, and vial on the dining room table. He hands Sarah a dry pair of socks and shirt. Gary then hands Mark a jacket, dry socks, and dry shirt. So he's giving him some clothes to kind of get more comfortable. Sarah and Mark sit everything they find on the dining room table. So she says we have so Sarah says we have enough food and water for a few days if we don't splurge. Are we going to rest here for the night? Sarah opens a bottle of water and passes it around, then opens a can of clams, scoops up some on a cracker, and passes the can around. We need to find out what's in the other room first. In Palinok's cabin, there was a hidden lab. I don't really want to stay here if there are more of those things here. Sarah says, are you sure he owns this place? I mean, most cabins are pretty similar. Maybe this is the same builder built this one and his. And Mark says, I don't know. Look, look at all this stuff I found. And the pistol looks like it's World War II. You know, one of those Nazi pistols that you always see in the movies? And Sarah says, Nazis? Seriously, how'd he get over here? Gary says, he said Hitler owned a lot of land here. Bought it before the war broke out. And then moved him here before Germany fell. Mark says, it's getting late. I mean, we need to figure out if we're going to stay here or not. And Gary picks up the pistol and slides around into the chamber and puts the other two magazines in his pocket. Gary says, Sarah, you stay here. Lock the front door and keep a lookout. Mark, let's check out the spare room. So Mark takes a deep breath and exhales, and Mark and Gary move hesitantly towards the spare room. So basically, it's like, okay, we got to see if this place is safe. So interior, lab, downstairs. So this has a lab. So lab is very similar to lab with the other cabin, except there's no power. Gary and Mark are barely visible. The flashlight shines in from the front into the lab. The lab is completely silent except for the sounds of Gary and Mark's breathing. Gary says, I can't see anything. Mark says, let's just get out of here and get back to the truck. Gary says, I'm not even sure where we are now. Running around the dark isn't going to get us to the truck. I don't want to be out here fumbling around in the dark with those bears still out there. Let's look around and see if we can find anything useful down here. And Mark gestures forward. For you. Gary, without looking at Mark, raises his hand and puts up his middle finger in front of Mark's face. And Gary says, it might be too dark for you to see this, so... Gary then flicks Mark with his finger lightly. Mark says, seriously? So even in this kind of dire situation, at least there's that same brotherly um, kind of camaraderie. Gary and Mark walk down the stairs and stop at the bottom of the stairs. With the flashlight slowly moving around the lab, it comes up to view a table with a computer and a pile of papers. Mark says, there's nothing here. Let's go back up and bar the door. The flashlight swings around to the edge to reveal that there is some space between the steps. Gary says, there's some space back here. Mark's a little bit frightened. He's like, nothing is back there. Let's go. So he's, Mark's just like, fuck this shit. Let's get out of here. Gary moves forward, taking a few steps to the side of the stairs. There's about five to six feet of space between the wall and stairs. After getting near the middle of the space, Gary trips over something and falls to the ground. After Gary hits the ground, he screams, looking for the flashlight. The light of the flashlight is pointed right at his face, so he's freaking out, like thinks something's got him. His hands reach for the flashlight, foaming to pick it up. In a panic to try and get it on what he thinks is an attacker getting ready to strike. So Gary picks up the flashlight and quickly points it in the direction he was just walking from, where he tripped over is just a pile of clothes. Just as Gary lets out a sigh of relief, Mark pops into the light. Mark's screaming, what the fuck, what the fuck? Gary lets out another scream, startled by Mark appearing in the light. Gary, you okay? Fuck, fuck, yes, fuck. I, I just fucking tripped. Gary once again regains his composure, and off to the side of Mark's head, Gary sees an electrical box. So Gary stands up, shuffles through the pile of clothing on the floor, walking towards the electrical box. Mark is looking in the opposite direction as Gary and cannot see the, the, the box itself. And he's kind of like, well, what is it? Gary walks past him and sees the, the box, or goes towards the box, opens it up the latch, and sees a handful of switches. And the instruction descriptions of all the switches are in German. 
Mark says, does this prove that the old man wasn't crazy? And Gary says, once those bears bust out of the lab, I'd believe just about anything. Mark says, you think any of these will turn on the lights? And Gary kind of goes, uh, maybe this one. And Gary puts his hand on the switch that is facing the opposite direction from the rest. His hand sits on the switch for a few seconds. So they kind of look at each other, and then Gary flips the switch. They both flinch as the switch is flipped. For a few moments, nothing happens, and then as they let their shoulders relax, the lights flicker and a computer can be heard. So we kind of cut to the middle of the lab as Mark and Gary walk down the middle of the lab towards the computer, and the lights are now on the lab, so they've given full power to this place. So Gary takes the lead, walking down the space between the two tables. He puts the flashlight in his back pocket and pulls out the pistol. So walking past where there's a prompt asking for a password. Papers on the tables have H posted on them in various places. There's a mixture of English and German on these papers. At the far end of the lab, there's a similar set up as the previous lab with plastic curtains covering up what looks to be a cooler. And Mark says, do you think there's more? Gary says, I'll take a quick peek in the, and see. You stay here and take this. And Gary hands Mark the pistol. It's ready to fire. If, if something is in there, you run back upstairs and get Sarah out of here. So Gary, at this point, is kind of going to be like, listen, we got to figure out if we're safe. If we aren't, you fucking run and take my girl with you. So Gary begins to move forward, creeping toward the curtains. When he gets to the curtain, there isn't much visibility to see what is in the cooler. So Mark fidgets with the pistol in his hand, beginning to breathe heavily, looking over his shoulder at the step. So Gary has his hand in the air next to the curtain, but not touching them. He is trying to give himself like the courage, trying to pump him up to do this. So finally, he closes his eyes, takes a deep breath, and pulls open the curtain, opening his eyes as he pokes his head into the cooler. So cut to interior inside the cabin. So inside the cooler, there are more piles of clothes that look to have been torn and ripped. Nothing ripped like what a bear would do, just torn and tattered from overuse. So just kind of old clothes. So Gary and Mark walk around the cooler. The fans are still spinning up from just being turned on. There are piles of clothes in random spots, and Gary and Mark kick, kick them around with their feet. Mark points out the piles of clothes in front of him and says, Gary, over there, there's, there's blood over this shirt. Yeah, the, and Gary says, yeah, there's blood on this one, too. As they walk their way around the room, they begin to look around at the wall, seeing placeholders on the wall with the letter H. So Gary says, let's go back upstairs. So Gary and Mark quickly run up the steps. The camera's sitting down below watching as they run up. And you can see that the clothes that Gary tripped over. And as you look really close, what you can see is a severed hand that neither Gary nor Mark saw. So we cut to interior cabin dining room night. So Gary, Sarah, and Mark are all standing over the table looking at the map that is spread out on top of the table. And Gary says, here, this is where we are. Gary points to the H and it is circled. How many of these buildings are there? And you kind of look at the map and there's multiples. There's uh, two Bs, two Cs, two Es, one R, and one H. So all are mingled together with seemingly no real organization. Some are fairly close together and others are far off. And Sarah says, which one did we go to with Dr. Palinok? Mark says, there are a few nearby, but I, I, I can't tell which one. And Gary says, it could be any of these. Gary points to three letters, one marked B, one marked E, and one marked R. The map shows that the creek that they were walking by flows by each cabin. If we know where we are, I think I can figure out how to get us out of these woods. And Gary is pointing the map describing his plan. Look, here's the creek that we have been following, which leads to the road here. If we keep a good pace, we should be able to make it there in a few hours. Sarah says, what road is that? Gary says, I don't know, but getting out of the woods still leads us there. If we can find someone or a house, then we can get help. For now, I think we're safe here. We, we can sleep in shifts, and then, if, and then when it's light enough again, we can leave. So cut to exterior outside cabin night. So the cabin is viewed in the distance with the moon lighting up in the area. Uh, vent steam is seen rising up in the sky, so they've got the heat going on in this cabin. After a few months of looking at the cabin, a figure steps into viewing, shambling towards the cabin, wearing a jacket with a hood up and torn jeans. 
The left leg looks okay, but he's dragging his right leg. So as the snow crunches beneath his feet, there's a trail of blood. So you see somebody kind of stumbling towards his cabin. Cut to interior cabin dining room night. So Gary's leaning against the wall with his head tilted back asleep. Sarah has her head in his lap. Mark is sitting on a chair facing the window with his head next to the window. He was keeping watch, resting his head, but has accidentally fallen. So he's kind of got his head against the window looking out, but he's kind of nosed off. Um, the curtain has been pulled up for Mark to keep watching. Visible outside the figure is making his way to the cabin. So you see that figure walking towards the cabin. Mark is lightly snoring with his mouth open. The cabin is completely silent except for Mark's snor slight snore. Then a loud bang, 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 bang at the door. Mark almost falls off his chair and falls on the ground. Sarah jumps up wide-eyed. Gary jumps to his feet, sees the pistol on the ground a few steps away. He takes the steps and picks up the pistol and looks at Mark, trying to make a sense of, like, what's going on. Quickly, he kind of figures out, gets his realization that Mark had fallen asleep. And Mark kind of whispers, I'm sorry. And Gary looks at his brother with, you know, just annoyance, like, dude, you're supposed to be fucking watching. And he whispers to, to Mark, who's out there? And Mark tries to look out the window in the dining room. It's like, I can't see, so we can't really see who it is. And Gary and them make their way to the kitchen. The door has no windows, but there isn't a, a window in the kitchen to get a good view of either. So they, it's just a wall, and, and whoever's at the door is at the corner. You can't see out the windows. So Mark puts his ear to the door, trying to listen to what is on the other side. He looks at Gary and shakes his head no. There's dead silence, and then again, bang, bang, bang. And you hear Dr. Gilbert Palnock kind of coughing. Is that you in there, Gary? Please let me in. And Mark is whispering, the doctor? How is he alive? And Gary just says in his normal voice, open the door. So Mark looks at Gary with hesitation, but shakes his head yes and locks the door. After locking the door, he slowly opens it. And then there's Dr. Gilbert Palnock is standing with dry blood on his jacket and a small pool forming on his feet. So he's in pretty bad shape. And Gary has the pistol drawn, pointed at the doctor. Show us your hands, Gary says. And the doctor raises both his hands and showing he has a few broken fingers and he's just in pretty rough shape. He's like, please let me in. Mark is kind of furious, saying, why should we let you win? This is all your fault. The doctor says, please, I've been trying to find you to help. I only wanted to help you and fix what I've done. So Gary nods, and Mark motions for the, uh, the doctor to come in. So they're sitting around the table. Gary and Mark are standing over Dr. Palnock, who is sitting at the table looking over the papers and map. Sarah is standing to the back close to the kitchen. So Gary has his, the pistol in his shooting hand, but no longer pointed at the doctor, but basically he's ready. And Gary asks, how'd you find us? The doctor says, when I woke up, I started moving to each of the closest cabins. I was hoping you had found one of them. And he kind of looks around and says, where's your friend? Mark takes a step forward, and Gary puts his arm and says, like, fuck you, dude. Mark looks angrily at Gary, then, then at the doctor, and then walks to the kitchen, like, I gotta fucking walk out of this. And the doctor kind of sees this and turns his head away and takes off his glasses and starts cleaning. I'm truly sorry. I've grown too old for this responsibility. I was ordered to keep at my work. I've always followed my orders. The doctor puts his glasses back on. He notices the key on the table and walks over to the, the locked chest. He opens it and there's a folder full of papers. When I arrived, I felt I was very close. I was able to help rodents survive after their bodies gave up. I started testing on other animals I found in the woods. Bigger animals. I was just trying to help. The doctor flips the document showing kind of different animals and different testing. And Gary says, how is caging animals as test subjects helping? And the doctor says, these animals were not caged. I found them in the woods, either attacked by another animal, hit by a car, or shot by a hunter. These animals were close to death, and I wanted to help keep them surviving. And Gary says, what do you need all these cabins for? You have plenty of room in the one lab. And he kind of laughs as he coughs. You are a bright boy. These cabins were built long before I made my way from Germany. The intention was to have single experiments in two cabins. 
They would be a backup in case something happened. That way, if one was compromised, there was a backup and no progress would be lost. And he's kind of, Gary's kind of confused, and uh, Gilbert kind of smiles. He's like, well, there's no reason not to tell these secrets anymore because he's pretty much about to die. Hitler never planned to lose the war. The United States was fighting two fronts, and Hitler took the opportunity to send scientists here. That way, our intelligence would be undetected behind enemy lines. And the doctor lets out a laugh and kind of cough like this is the inside joke that he had. Scientists working for Hitler were allowed to leave. Escape to the United States was part of the disguise. They'll never expect it. Scientists running for their lives. They will open right up our own Trojan horse. But what he didn't count on was that these scientists truly did want to escape and use this opportunity to do just that. And then Mark kind of says, but the cabins are still here. Why didn't they tell the army? And the doctor says, Hitler is always a step ahead. He never was very trusting. He didn't tell them about these cabins, sending them to the States, waiting to give them their orders. He started feeding them false information and slowly discovered each of them that de deceived him. With that, his hope of a Nazi Trojan horse disappeared. Once I made my way here, it was a last hope. The war was over before I even settled in. I wanted to continue my work, so for each test subject, I set up separate cabins. And he kind of starts pointing to it, and Gary says, This bee cabin here, this is where the... You, we were, right? Is B for bears? And Mark says, C is for cow? Please tell me there aren't zombie cows. Cows are bad enough when they aren't zombified. Doctor points to each letter that corresponds to the animals he experimented with in each cabin. Bear, cougar, elk. There was only need for one cabin for rodents. They were the base of the initial experiment, so there was no need to separate them to multiple cabins. He pauses over the H. Ah, so Dr. Palnock pauses over the H and moves his hand away from his map. He takes off his glasses and sits them on the table, rubbing his eyes. And Sarah says, what is this cabin, H? What does H stand for? I'm, and Mark says, I'm drawing a blank. What, what animals would start with an H? And Sarah goes through hawk, herring, horse. Gary doesn't take his eyes off Dr. Palinok. Human. This is where he tested humans. Gary looks down at, over at Mark. And Gary says, the clothes in the lab, those were the test subjects. And Sarah and Mark both are kind of horrified, and Gary kind of tightens the grip on the pistol. Is that why you helped us? You need more test subjects? And Dr. Palnock says, Just like with the animals, I never caused anyone harm. The people I tried to help them, they were injured and near death. I took them here to help, but no form of the solution helped. Each of them couldn't survive. So Dr. Palnock looks even more upset, because basically his, his whole goal in this was to help humans survive, and he's basically failed at that. And Mark says, well, there were no bodies. And Dr. Pollock says, the day I found you, I just buried the last person. I had a theory that maybe the solution had to be passed from one of the subjects to the human. A synthesis process in the animals would create the solution needed to extend life. I waited a few hours after injecting the subject with bear blood, but nothing. Just nothing. Dr. Gilbert Pollock looks away, wiping his eyes. A loud growl can then be heard from outside. Cut to exterior outside the cabin day. Outside the cabin, the sun is star starting to come up. It isn't visible, but is giving off light, enough to see. One eye is sniffing at the blood trail left by Dr. Pollock, taking a few steps and lifting his head to the air, growling. When one eye sees the cabin, he stands on his back legs and lets out a deadly growl. And then falls back to all fours and starts walking towards the cabin. Interior cabin dining room day. 
Inside the cabin in the dining room, which is starting to light up from the sunrise, Gary, Sarah, and Mark are all looking out the window at the approaching bear. I only see the one. Where's the other? Dr. Palinak says, They keep some sense of their instinct. The predators would go on their own. The herd animals would always group together. Did the bear stay close at least, Sarah asks? And the doctor says, I don't know. After discovering their hunger, I only would have one out at a time. It was far too dangerous to have them both running wild. One ear is continuing towards the cabin, growling, sniffing the blood every few steps. The doctor says, I will distract him. The doctor stands looking at Gary. That will give you time to run. Sarah looks at Mark, then at Gary. Sarah yells at the doctor as if he is a child who just requested something silly. No, there is no way we are going to let you die. The doctor holds up his hands. I've lived longer than I should. I've done things I'm not proud of. My work has always been to redeem for the things I have done, and I have failed at that. He kind of giggles again, kind of as an inside joke. Even if I wanted to go, my leg wouldn't get me very far. I could pretend I'm not scared to die, but I, I am. With all my work, I had always thought I would discover the cure that would allow me to live forever. Cut to interior inside kitchen cabin day. So Mark is holding the map open as Dr. Gilbert Palinock explains where they need to go. So Gary and Sarah are standing next to the door, watching Dr. Palinock show them the way to the road. If you follow the creek, it'll take you to an open field. Turn east, and you'll make it to a dirt road. It's an old farm road and not heavily used. Follow that road. It leads to the highway. Gary, Sarah, and Mark look at each other to, to silently agree that, okay, this is what we're going to do. And you can hear one ear's growl starting to become louder. So, Gary, it's getting close. How are we going to distract it? If, if you go out the door, now we'll be pinned in. So the doctor says, these cabins were built with secret emergency exits. And he kind of smiles. The bear will get to the door. I'll distract him. When I do, make sure you run. So the doctor goes to the room with the lab door. He opens, and you can hear the lab door open and then close. And Sarah and Gary kind of looking at each other, confused and fearing that they've just been duped. He's like, he's using us as bait. That Nazi is going to use us as bait. And then Gary's like, go to the lab, go to the lab. Like, you got to fall. Like, why the fuck did we fall for this? So Gary and Sarah and Mark turn to the run of the lab as one of your slams to the door, shaking the cabin. All three instinctively slam back into the door to hold it in place. Shit, what do we do? And Sarah's pleading with Gary, Gary. Gary says, Mark, take the pistol and you guys run. So Gary's basically going to hold this door in. And all of a sudden from outside, you hear Dr. Gilbert Palinock. Hey, bear. Hey, bear. I want to be your friend, bear. The pounding on the cabin door stops, and you can hear the bear shumbling down the steps toward where the doctor is. And you see him shouting at Fainter as he's kind of stumbling into it. That's it, bear. Follow me. Gary stands up from the door, grabs the handle, and opens it. Says, Come on, run. Cut to exterior outside the cabin day. One ear can be seen shambling to the edge of the woods. Dr. Gilbert is no longer in sight. Cut to exterior woods next to stream day. Gary, Sarah, and Mark all look around quickly but see nothing and then take off towards the stream. Once to the creek, the group heads down the stream. Dr. Gilbert Palinuk can be heard giving a death scream mixed with the growls of one ear. Gary, Sarah, and Mark stop and flinch, looking around as the echoes around all around them. Each freezes for a few moments. Come on, we gotta move, Mark says. The group continues to run next to the creek, Gary still limping, trailing the, the group by a few steps. After a quick bend, Gary falls and skids a few feet. Sarah stops and runs back. Mark at first doesn't notice and keeps running forward. Gary, come on, get up, we have to go! Sarah screams towards Mark. Mark! So Sarah pulls Gary up and he limps, struggling to move forward. Mark comes running back, seeing Gary struggling. He runs over to the other side of Gary, so now they're kind of helping him out. And Mark says, the field is just ahead, not more than a few feet. I thought I saw a four-wheeler. Cut to exterior open field day. Looking from the opening of the field, the field seems to go on forever, so it's 
big open field. In the far distance, there looks to be some type of off-road vehicle. So in the far distance, you see something like Gator or you know some ATV type thing. So Mark and Sarah help Gary work their way across the field. About 10 yards or so into the field, a loud crashing and twig snapping can be heard. So Gary looks over his shoulder, starting to hurry forward, and brings down the group. Gary's yelling, quick, just run, run, go. So Gary, again, trying to give him, basically give himself up, is just like, you go, just fucking go. And then Mark tells Sarah to go. So Mark shoves Sarah forward and goes back and grabs Gary under his arm and is trying to drag him. And Sarah looks at the two and then begins to run forward. She stops and comes back, and she turns and starts helping Gary as well. Gary, get up, come on, get up. Mark says, Sarah, run, I've got him. So Mark's basically trying to have Sarah be the one to survive this, if anyone can survive. So 20 yards to the left from where Sarah and Mark and Gary enter the field, one of them through a thicket of brush. Seeing the group, he raises on his back and goes out. No steam coming out again, so there's no breath. And Gary's just like, go, leave me, go. Mark tries to pick Gary up, but falls backwards, slipping on the wet grass. Their breath can be seen as the weather has cooled to just above freezing. One ear starts moving in closer and closer, no breath coming from his mouth. Loud crunching of stone grass. One bear is snarling with fresh blood dripping from his mouth, ooze seeping out of his freshly torn ear. One ear closes into 20 feet when a loud ring bang that topples one ear over to the side. So you hear a big kaboom. In the distance of the shot near the edge of the woods, a man wearing camel in his mid to late, 20, late, mid to late 50s and carrying a hunter rifle is standing. He slides the bolt action and puts another round into the chamber of the rifle. One ear slides up, looking now at the direction of the shot, and moves towards the hunter. The, fire fires another, the hunter fires another round of the chest area of the one ear. One ear is pushed back by the shot, but keeps moving forward. The hunter slides the action again, loading another one. He cut in on the hunter. He says, tough, ugly son of a bitch. Hunter loads another round, puts the gun up to his shoulder. So now we're looking through the scope. You see the hunter focus on the chest region again, where he's got three shot holes. He moves from the chest to the head, aiming between the eyes, pulling the trigger, another loud bang, and one ear falls flat, sliding. The hunter lowers the rifle as one ear slides five feet from where he's standing. The hunter speaks with somewhat of a southern country accent. You are one ugly bear. The hell you got into? Cut to exterior, middle of the open field day. Gary, Sarah, and Mark are all sitting on the ground as the hunter approaches, reloading his rifle. Close call, huh? Usually don't see them so riled up. I was tracking an elk nearby. Ugliest thing. Lost it about a mile back and made my way here. Good thing, too. Kind of looks back towards the bear. Otherwise, Hunter shakes his head and offers his hand just to no one in particular. Gary says, nice shot. The hunter helps Gary up and as Sarah and Mark help each other up. The hunter says, took enough to take him down. Look if it must have been affected with something. Three to the body and last to the head. You kids need a ride? Gary says, yeah, yeah, we, we need to get out of here. The hunter says, my off-road is up the way. Keys are in it. Go ahead and start it up. Get, get you guys warmed up. My truck is up the road, and we can head into town. I've got to grab my pack. So the hunter motions back to the tree where he left his hunting pack. So Gary's helped by Sarah and Mark over the, the off-road vehicle. It's got a plastic cover over it, so it's not like a huge thing. It's enough probably for just all four of them to barely fit in. As they get in with a few feet, as they get into with about a few feet of the vehicle, they can hear a loud screaming and a single gunshot. The hunter is pinned down by one eye. Who is smacking the hunter with one paw as he bites down on him? The screaming continues after two chomps from one eye, and then silence after taking large chunk, a large chunk out of the hunter. One eye stands back on his hind legs. You see the blood just kind of dripping down. Mark and Sarah put Gary in the vehicle, and Sarah gets in the passenger side, and Mark takes the wheel, driving off towards the dirt road. So, cut to interior off-road vehicle day. Mark is driving the truck through the field, hitting bumps, going at a top speed. Sarah is constantly looking over her shoulder at the tree line in the passenger seat. Gary's in the back seat, sitting long ways with his leg propped up in the back. Mark's saying, holy shit, holy shit. So Mark, or Gary is basically 
essentially sprained, broke his leg. So Sarah says, slow down, I don't see it. And Gary says, Mark, slow down. Mark slows down to a more suitable pace, driving zigzags in the field trying to find the farm road. Mark's like, came from nowhere. Gary was like, that was the second bear. The one he shot was still down. It wasn't moving. Sarah says, he shot at it four times. He said the last one was to the head. Gary says, it was, he said it was the last one to the head. Mark hits a large ditch thing in the off-road vehicle airborne, slamming down hard on the gravel road. The off-road vehicle comes to a stop. Mark says, which way? Gary peeks out the back, getting his bearings on the directions. Gary says, left, left, go left. Mark slams down the gas, and the off-road vehicle spins out and goes 10 feet and then stalls. He turns the key, and the vehicle stutters. Mark looks at Sarah and then turns the key, and the vehicle starts up. Mark says, what the fuck? Mark pushes on the gas, and the off-road vehicle sputters along the top speed of the, of the lawnmower. Mark stops and opens the door to inspect the vehicle, so he's like, something's fucking wrong here now. So basically, when they jumped up and landed, it screwed something up. And Gary can't get out, so he's like, anything? I have no idea what I'm even looking for. There's a, there's, there's a leak down here, but I'm not sure what it's from. Gary says, get in, just take it easy and see if we can get find the truck. So the off-road vehicle drives down the gravel road at a very, very slow pace. So we cut to interior inside the off-road vehicle day. So Gary, Sarah, and Mark are all seem a bit more calm. So they've been going for a little bit at least. Looks like a decent amount of time has gone by. Sarah says, up there, see it? Mark says, all right, there's the truck. We get to it, jump in, and let's get the fuck out of here. Sarah has a sense of release on her face now. It's like they're basically like they're, they're getting to where they need to go. Gary says, stop here and... The vehicle all of a sudden just is flipped over and over and spinning three times laying on its top. Mark is lying on the roof. Gary has half of his body hanging out of the back end. The plastic cover is shredded. Everyone is conscious and okay physically besides looking shocked. Gary's like, what the fuck? Gary is yanked out of the vehicle by the unseen bear. Sarah starts screaming, Gary! Gary! Sarah fumbles with the seatbelt trying to get it loose. Mark crawls to the back exiting the vehicle. Sarah continues to try to get it loose from the seatbelt. Gary's screaming yelling can be heard as well as the growling of one eye. She finally gets loose, falling to the roof, and crawls out the back. Sarah, calling out with the vehicle, sees one eye standing on Gary's leg. Gary is fumbling with his waistband trying to get the pistol. Mark is yelling at one eye and throwing rocks and whatever else he can find to distract one eye. Sarah stands up just as one eye chomps down on Gary's leg and drags him to the other side of the truck. She lets out a horror movie scream. Sarah runs, off, runs from the off-road vehicle to Mark as Gary's getting dragged by one ear through the snow. There is a trail of blood that starts where Gary was first attacked and leads around the truck. Gary's screaming in pain. He's like, oh, let me go, let me go. Gary is grabbing rocks as he is dragged, throwing them at one eye. He leans forward but cannot get set to strike at one eye. Sarah and Mark run after them trying to keep up. One eye stops dragging Gary and lets, up, lets go of his leg. He takes a step forward over Gary and growls towards Sarah and Mark. Gary fidgets under one eye looking for his pistol in his waistband. He looks over his shoulder and sees that it is halfway between where he is lying and where Sarah and Mark are standing. Gary checks his back pocket, pulling out the metal flashlight. When one eye falls back down on all fours, he rears back to bite Gary's upper torso. Gary slams the flashlight into one eye's only eye. Blood spurts out around the edges of the flashlight, and one eye steps back, pawing at the light. Gary slides over to his stomach and starts crawling away as one eye growls and is stomping. Gary gets about five feet from the giant paw, slams into the back, pinning him against the ground. One eye flips the flashlight out of his eye and now has two empty eye sockets. With his paw on Gary, one eye rears his head back, and just as he is moving his head down to slam into Gary's back, three shots ring out. One eye falls on top of Gary, neither Gary or one eye move. We shoot, we take a look at Sarah, who's standing holding the pistol with smoke coming out of the barrels. She exhales, and her breath follows. Cut to exterior outside next to the truck day. 
Mark and Sarah run up to one eye, and Gary, who's pinned under the bear. Mark is yelling, Gary, Gary. Sarah's yelling, Gary. They're both yelling, Gary, you okay? Please, please be okay. Please be okay. Sarah and Mark run next to one eye, and Gary. Gary's pinned with his arm outstretched from under one eye. Slowly, Gary's hand starts to move. Sarah's eyes fills with tears. She yells, Gary. Mark's like, holy shit, you're okay. Gary is still moving his hand without moving anything else gives Mark the finger. Gary, muffled under one eye, get this thing off me. Sarah and Mark go to the side of one eye and push, taking some effort to roll one eye off of Gary. Cut to exterior, outside, next to the truck day. Gary's sitting in the bed of the truck with the tailgate down. Sarah's looking through the truck and comes back with a first aid kit. Sarah says, here, I can wrap it with this. Sarah's smiling as she has tears rolling down her cheeks. Sarah says, it's bad, but you should be able to survive. Gary painfully says, well, that's good to hear. The truck starts up and Mark comes back to the tailgate. And Mark says, get him stabilized. I want to get the hell out of here. Sarah finishes wrapping Gary's leg. Mark and Sarah help him down and then leave him to the back seat. Gary pauses right before stepping in. He puts his hand to his mouth and lets out a short burst of whistles. Rose! Rose, come on, girl! Sarah choked up, kind of yells, Rosie! Mark says, come on, Gary, we gotta go. Mark walks around the back and gets in the truck, drying his eyes on his shoulders. And Sarah says, if it wasn't for her, none of us would have made it. Cut to exterior, gravel road day. So the truck pulls away, heading down the road towards the highway. Sarah says, we should take the map to the authorities. Gary says, this is going to be hard to explain. Nazis? Zombie bears? Mark says, I guess we can be happy knowing that Dr. Gilbert failed in his human experiments. Could you imagine? cut to exterior open field day so moving over the open field all the way into the woods following the whistle and call for Rosie from Gary we see Marcy's body is lying flat on the ground with a fresh coat of snow and dried blood around her one arm is missing and pieces of her body ripped off Rose is echoed over top and Marcy's eyes open to the same zombified look as the bears standing over Marcy is a woman in tattered clothes with fresh dirt all around her Marcy stands up begins shambling towards the sound the woman falls. As they walk away, the woman can be seen missing a hand. Marcy walks the same path as Gary, Sarah, and Mark. When she passes the second cabin, Dr. Gilbert Palinock shambles next to her, missing chunks from his body. Both continue down the stream and walk into the entry to the field, passing the body of one ear. Halfway through the field, the hunter shambles next to them, missing a big chunk from his neck and both arms bitten off. Marcy, Dr. Gilbert Palinock, the woman, and the hunter walk down the gravel road, passing one eye. At the edge of the road, Rose is standing there barking at Marcy, growling and nipping at her legs. Rose is missing patches of fur. Marcy lazily kicks at Rose. Marcy is walking straight with her hand up to her mouth, chewing on her thumb. Old, dead blood dribbling down her hand. Marcy, Dr. Gilbert Palinock, the woman and the hunter continue down the road towards the highway, with Rose right behind, barking and no breath of steam coming from any of them. All right, Richard. So there it was, Zombie Bear. What's uh, what are your Richard's closing thoughts? So we can kind of tidy oh, up this whole hmm. episode. Let's see. 
how how do you finish off how do you finish this off everybody has dreams and a dream deferred is not a dream denied there you go yeah and i know this episode is a little self-serving for me because i mean it's something i created it's something that's just sitting away and i really want to get it out there for everybody and if you made it this far and you're like i could do this like is this really all you, you need to do like make up a silly story and record it and spend 12 hours in a coffee shop editing. Yes. yes. Go ex- do that. That's exactly what you could. I can do this. <laughs> These two idiots do this. Why couldn't I do this? You're absolutely right. You could totally do this. Yeah. And I hope that you enjoy it. But most of all, I hope if, if you have any thoughts of trying to go out and do any of these things, and it doesn't have to be writing. It could be music. It could be, you know, doing your own like uh video game. Like, I hope this just gives you the motivation to be like, hey, I should try this at least because what's the worst that can happen? Um, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, well, I'm not good enough. I, you know, it's kind of always been my thing that stops me. But you know what? You shouldn't stop yourself. You tell you make those people out there tell you themselves that you can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. You for you force it on them. They're like, look, look what I look what I have created. The worst thing they can do is look away and then you just find another group of people to yeah. look at it. Yeah. Like your penis. It's like a pe- it's like showing people your dick. <laughs> All right, Richard. Well, let me do a little bit of housekeeping so we can get these people on their way. Visit our website at languageofbronze.com. Follow us on Twitter at languageofbro. Email us at eatthebeaver at languageofbronze.com. Check out the LOB Army Intelligence Reports. Like us on Facebook. And go out and recruit somebody for the LOB Army by getting someone you know to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. And also, when you're on any of those, you can... Rate and leave a review, or you could just when you or you can send an email to Sean, let him know what you thought, tell him, Oh my god, this is a great idea, or Oh my god, this is a horrible idea. I mean, either way, either way, I get to see the reaction. So either he's going to be reading me these emails and going, Look, people really like me, or he's going to read me these emails and cry, and I'll get to watch (laughs) him cry. People are just like my mom. And if you want to throw a little money in our tip jar, because, you know, editing in a coffee shop takes a lot of time and effort. Yes. So many lattes. Oh, yes. White chocolate mochas. Mmm. Go to our Patreon accounts, www.patreon.com slash language of bromance. All right, Richard, was there anything else before I close her out? No, I'm, I'm sure you have you've you've talked up a storm. We'll <laughs> let these good people go. All right. Well, that's all the bromance we have for this show. I'm Sean. And I'm Richard. And I say we eat the beaver. Hi, pal. I want to be your friend, friend, pal.